The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with one and done. Stocks are trying to bounce back after their worst day since March, following that hotter-than-expected inflation report. Investors, well, they're now looking to the Fed and Jay Powell, possibly pushing back the timeline for future interest rate cuts, why Double Line's Jeff Gunlock says the markets they may have gotten over their skis. But today, it is all about what's next for the markets and, of course, your money and the apparent frothiness that's really been building in the markets, the sectors and the stocks to watch ahead of the open. And speaking of frothiness, we get another look at arm shares after just a brutal day for that stock. And then later in the show, we get a check on Lyft and a very wild ride following some errors during earnings. It's Wednesday, February the 14th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. We're going to kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. Uh, after yesterday's big sell-off, we are seeing the futures solidly in the green. The Nasdaq doing the best, up over a half a percent. So as I mentioned, this action we're seeing in the pre-market, it follows really a brutal day for stocks. I saw all the major averages close down more than 1% lower. The Dow posting its worst single session since March, and the Russell its worst since June of 2022. So far this week, we're seeing shares of Dow components. We're talking names like a Salesforce, a Microsoft, a Boeing, and an Apple, all of them down between 2 and 3.5%. And also tech, it's gone off a pretty rough session. We're taking a look at the ARK Innovation ETF, the ticker here, ARKK, coming off a more than 5% drop. You see the downward move right here. It's worst day since July. We also saw some big drops in Coinbase, Tesla, Roku, Roblox, all dragging that ETF lower. All right, we also want to look at bonds this morning, as we always do. Yields hitting their highest level in more than two months. Right now, the 10-month right, uh, excuse me, 10-year right now at 4.293%. We've seen about a 15 basis points move after that hotter-than-expected CPI report. Similar story for the rest of the curve. Uh, actually, same move for the two-year right now. You're seeing the two-year come at 4.60 this morning. And we also want to check the energy market this morning. Oil once again closing in on 80 bucks a barrel. This morning, we're taking a look at the oil market. We are seeing it in the green fractionally right now. WTI, uh, just a few pennies below 78 bucks a barrel. Brent crude, um, pretty close to 82.90 a barrel. Again, both of them fractionally higher this morning. Okay, that is your U.S. setup. We have a very busy morning shaping up overseas as well. Our JP Ong is in Singapore and our Jamana Brissetti with the big movers out of London. JP, good morning. Let's start off with you. Good morning to you guys. And it was a Wednesday to forget for many Asian stocks and a bit heartbreaking given it's Valentine's Day with a lot of these major indices in the region closing in the red. And again, that inflation print from the U.S., those higher 10-year yields, not really making much of a handoff from Wall Street over to Asia-Pacific, and we saw a lot of these indices pull back. Now, I want to talk about the Nikkei 225 in Japan also, because they are coming off of those record highs once again. And today, they snapped their most recent winning streak. And a lot of it also has to do with the fact that the Japanese yen finally found some firm footing. And now, we saw the Japanese yen over the recent weeks really test and even breach 150 against the U.S. dollar. Well, that has once again caught the eye of officials 
officials in Japan. In fact, Cabinet Secretary Hayashi did say today that they are watching these moves closely and that they are actually taking this very seriously, hinting again that there is a possibility that they might even intervene in the markets to try and make sure that volatility is capped around the currency in Japan. And again, the stronger yen today so far weighing on these exporters out in Tokyo. Now, we also have to remember that the Hang Seng came back online today after the Lunar New Year holiday, and they had a bit of a shaky start opening the morning in the red, but they finally found some strength in the second half, and in the afternoon actually clawed back, wiped out those losses, and closed in the green. Finance Secretary Paul Chan in Hong Kong did say that he's expecting the rate cuts and also a recovery in the Chinese economy might support the Hang Seng into, uh, uh, heading into the year of the dragon, but we'll have to wait until markets in, on the mainland come online and to see if this actually take, gets traction over the next couple of days. Back to you guys. Happy Hearts Day. <laughs> All right, JP. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. All right, time now to turn over to Europe and our Germana Versace in our London newsroom. Germana? Well, I feel bad I'm not wearing red for Valentine's Day. And neither are the markets over here in Europe. There's a lot of green on the board behind me. Uh, we just got some data coming through from the Eurozone showing the second reading for GDP has actually come in at 0% annualized for the quarter. Uh, so in line with the prior estimates, but also showing that the Eurozone economy continues to stagnate. In terms of the market action, though, uh, bucking the trend from what we had in the U.S. session yesterday, all of the majors are trading the green. The DAX is the relative underperformer today, up only seven basis points. Uh, the industrials are being pulled lower by ThyssenKrupp right at the bottom of the stock 600 today after underwhelming earnings. But a lot of the attention has been on the U.K. index. The FTSE 100 is the star outperformer today, up seven-tenths of a percent. This after UK inflation data came in as slightly lower than expectations, coming in at 4% for that headline number, unchanged versus December, but still lower than analyst forecast. The core number is still sitting at 5.1% unchanged from December, but crucially here, lower than market expectations. So what has happened is markets have started to price in, again, the possibility of more rate cuts uh, coming out of the Bank of England. Uh, those expectations are now sitting at around 70 basis points versus 60 basis points prior to the print. And as a consequence of that, all of the rate-sensitive sectors, things like home builders, are doing quite well and are giving a boost to the FTSE 100. So the handover into the U.S. session looks like it's positive from Europe. Frank? Yeah, a lot of green on that board. And happy Valentine's Day, Jemana. I feel like I'm, I'm leaving you out. <laughs> JP's spreading all the love. Thank you again. Our Jemana Brissetti live Thank in you. All right. We want to keep the market conversation going and bring in Bill Stone, chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust Company, and Gennady Goldberg, head of U.S. rate strategy at TD Securities. Gentlemen, great to have you both here this morning. Uh, Bill, I want to start with you, Gennady. I'm going uh, to ask you the same question. Um, important to note, futures are in the green right now. But yesterday, uh, we saw hotter CPI, we saw yields spike, then we saw stocks fall. How, does, how are you viewing what we saw yesterday? Was it knee-jerk or is it a change in the markets that we need to pay close attention to? I would say it's a, it's a little bit of, of pricing in some amount of probability that things may not go as well as the market had started to price in. I think a little perspective, we were up about 20% since the end of October in the S&P 500. If you look at the Magnificent 7, up close to 30%. So a lot of good news had gotten priced in. Yesterday kind of shook us because you had a what would be a bad outcome, which is or what could be a bad outcome, which is services, wages inflation bleeds through to services inflation. That makes it so the Fed can't, you know, cut rates and perhaps raises the odds of a recession. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. What I mean to say is the market had to price in at least perhaps a little bit higher probability of that. And I think, you know, maybe what you're seeing at least to start today is, hey, you know, we put it a little bit of perspective, but it's one number and we've had a long list of better numbers before this. 
Okay, so it sounds like you're saying the markets are basically priced to perfection. So if we saw anything, any any economic data that disrupted the narrative that the market was believing in, well, this is kind of the reaction that we saw. Uh, Gennady, I want to come over to you. Do, do you agree with that assessment? Is that things were kind of priced to perfection there? I think so. I think it was a bit of a rude awakening for markets, right. if you will, that, you know, the soft landing scenario is not necessarily going to be the only one we're going to get. Um, and in my mind, you know, you have the strong stronger data for CPI, you had stronger data for payrolls, markets are starting to realize that perhaps maybe those rate cuts aren't going to come as fast and furious um, as initially expected. And I think that's been a big part of the performance of, you know, equities, for example, recently, because they kind of assumed that the Fed would, you know, come to the rescue in case anything weakened at all. If we get data strength, and this is kind of the question that we're asking ourselves, are we seeing a reacceleration in the U.S. economy, or are we just simply seeing more of the same strength? If we get a reacceleration, that really throws the narrative for a loop. Now, if we're seeing more data strength, then perhaps the Fed just pushes back those rate cuts and markets can still be okay. But, you know, it's going to take a while to shake that out. And I don't think we're going to get a definitive answer one way or the other for at least the next few weeks. Okay, so we don't have a definitive answer for a few more weeks. I want to ask you then, what should investors do right now? We were actually, uh, we got a, a report from Bank of America yesterday. It was their fund manager survey. They said it's the most bullish in two years. Cash levels now at 4.2%, down about a half a percent from the previous level. And they say investors are still all in on tech. But remember, we got this before that CPI report. Um, as investors, how do you move forward after what we saw? Canadian, well, sorry, I was the, oh, you know, Oh, no worries. Um, I, I think what you, you know, I think there's a lot of investors waiting in the wings. They, they are trying to, you know, to look for entry points. Um, you know, I think equities have been relatively expensive recently. So I think investors who have been waiting are now looking to see if this is a kind of a better entry level. I think on the rate side, which is more my focus, you know, there's been a lot of investors waiting to buy those dips, buy, buy the increases uh, in interest rates. Uh, because from a long-term perspective, these are good investments. The question now is, you know, if we're not really seeing the soft landing scenario play out, or if we're seeing, you know, higher for longer interest rates, you know, should we be waiting even longer? Should we be waiting until 4.5% on the 10-year to actually get in? Okay. I think there's some investors dipping their toes, um, but I think it's going to take some time for, for markets to figure out if this is the time to buy in or whether we should be coming in a little bit uh, a little bit later here. You know, speaking of that higher for longer environment, we had double lines, Jeffrey Gunlock warning of the ongoing threat from higher for longer uh, of higher for longer rates on CNBC yesterday. I want you guys to both listen. I want to get your reaction. Interest rates were absurdly low, particularly real interest rates. And now real interest rates are reasonable. But I think that we have a problem with the amount of money we need to borrow. All right, Bill, I'm going to give you the first crack of this. We're going to give Gennady the last word on the way out, going to his wheelhouse when it comes to rates. So I, I agree with at least the beginning of it that real rates are now reasonable, which is good news, frankly. Um, I'd rather be back in a world that I view as more normal. I do think it's part of what I'll say is I think you have to think when you're building a portfolio of having exposure to some parts of the market that may be a little less economically sensitive is really paid off to be piled up in the particularly economically sensitive areas. But think about, you know, owning some health care, some consumer staples, uh, you know, maybe some insurance companies, things that just don't have quite as much of that exposure. Uh, I think, you know, that is at least a place where 
they aren't as highly priced as they used to be relative. And so if we get into any sort of jitters, they should uh, hold up better and, and help with performance. All right. So Bill says get into healthcare and staples right now. It's a good time. Gennady, I'm going to give you the last word. Sure. So from the rate side, I do think investors are buying in, at least some of the longer term investors. They are looking at this 4.3% yield on tenure and saying, thank you very much. I'll put that in my portfolio and, and I'll keep that there for quite a while. The, the question in my mind is, you know, I, I do share Gunlock's kind of uh, question on uh, additional deficits for years to come. You know, we're going to, into an election where seemingly no one is focused on deficits. Um, if you look at the CBO projections for deficits, they're absolutely atrocious. And they don't even account for the fact that we're likely going to see an extension of the 2017 tax cuts um, after, you know, the 2024 election goes through. So the fiscal trajectory of the U.S. is absolutely atrocious at the moment. And I am a little bit nervous that we may start seeing periods like August uh, to October of last year where markets, you know, we're seeing strong data right. and they were starting to care about the impact of additional issuance and the fact that, you you know, you could see, you know, a lack of demand for, for U.S. Treasuries where yields actually go higher. Now, that's a pretty toxic combination when you think about it. You know, that right. would really force markets to, you know, Okay, good we got to go, ways. but you're flagging the risk there. When would you possibly, in your mind, see that risk popping up for investors? I think it would be probably heading into the election and perhaps into early 2025 okay. when we see the, the, you know, the trajectory for, for fiscal deficits. All right, something to watch there. Bill Stone and Gennady Goldberg, great to have you both here. Thank you. All right, time Thank now you. for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. We are watching shares of Arm Holdings higher today after suffering their worst performance since the chipmaker went public in September. The stock closing down more than 19 percent as part of that broader market sell off we saw now. Arm had nearly doubled in the pre in the three previous sessions following its earnings report last week. And even with yesterday's decline, Arm has a market cap above one hundred and twenty three billion dollars worth about as much as Goldman Sachs and Boeing. Meanwhile, Instacart is cutting about two hundred and fifty jobs. That's about seven percent of its workforce as it focuses on profitability and deals with rising food costs and competition in the grocery delivery business. The company also saying three executives, including its chief operating and technology officers, are leaving for personal reasons. The layoff announcement coming alongside Instacart's fourth quarter results, profit falling 71 percent while revenue was in line and the value of transactions were slightly better than expected. Instacart shares are down 11 percent since the company's IPO in September. And Jeff Bezos continues to sell Amazon stock. An SEC filing shows the company's founder unloaded 12 million shares worth $2 billion in a series of transactions Friday and Monday. Now, Bezos sold roughly the same amount last Wednesday and Thursday as part of a set trading plan. Now, it's his first stock sales since November of 2021, and that's according to Verity Data, which tracks insider stock moves, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, coming up, we have a lot more on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on yesterday's hotter-than-expected inflation print and why housing is having an outsized impact. Plus, why R. Jim Cramer says yesterday's sell-off was based on bad judgment, not bad earnings. And then later, a really wild ride for shares of Lyft after an error-laden earnings report. And as we had to break, 
Stock futures, they are higher. We're going to give you a look at what's given the Dow a boost in the pre-market right now. Taking a look, it's uh, not to be uh, some of the names you know very well. Microsoft, Salesforce, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, Home Depot, and Intel. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at some of the S&P pre-market gainers. Davida Inc. right there on top, up more than 5%. Followed by a REIT, Federal Reserve Investment, and then Equity Residential as well. Then on the other side of the coin, the laggards. Airbnb on the top of that list of the laggards, down almost 6%. Uh, MGM Resorts there as well, as well as uh, Lamb Weston, also down just about 3%. All right, turning to the regional bank sector. Stocks under pressure once again following yesterday's inflation data sparking even more concerns about the potential fallout from their exposure to commercial real estate and the impact of higher interest rates. Our Leslie Picker is digging deeper into what this all means for investors. Regionals once again under fire as that CPI report yesterday bolstered the case for higher for longer rates and potentially delaying that first rate cut. Take a look at the Spider Regional Banking ETF, ticker KRE, down 4.5%. 2-1% yesterday. Rates are important for regionals right now for two reasons. Number one, lower rates would help margins because they would decrease funding costs, i.e. what banks are paying out for depositors. Number two, there are renewed fears surrounding credit quality and fourth quarter earnings snapshots kind of elicited this concern that things could be deteriorating, lower rates would, of course, relieve some of the pressure there. So leading the way to the downside were some of the smaller banks with more exposure to commercial real estate, names like Valley National, Horizon Bank Corp., and Western Alliance. Smaller banks have more exposure to commercial real estate than larger banks, and smaller banks have set aside fewer reserves. So If commercial real estate becomes more of an issue, smaller banks have higher earnings risk. That's according to KBW analyst Christopher McGrady. He told me that yesterday. You can see the discrepancy, though, in the price action with the KRE lagging the big bank weighted KBE by 61 basis points in yesterday's trading, Frank. And our thank you to our Leslie Picker. Okay, housing costs, as we all know, they remain high, which is a stubborn problem for Americans and for the Federal Reserve. 
Shelter inflation rising 6% from a year ago in January and more than a half a percent from December, making up two-thirds of the monthly increase for the Consumer Price Index. In a recent report, Apollo Global Chief Economist Torsten Slock, he's noting signs that point to a housing recovery, such as a rebound in prices, could put upward pressure on shelter and then in turn on inflation. Let's talk much more about this with Jeff Taylor, founder and managing director of Emphasis Digital Risk. Jeff, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. So you're forecasting a decline when it comes to mortgage rates over the next three quarters. Uh, What does that mean when it comes to prices? Because, again, we still have low inventory. It's a great question. So as I look over the next three quarters, I've got really two data points that I'm looking at. One, we're going to see lower mortgage rates, but, and then we're going to see probably Fed cuts um, later this summer. So I look at mortgage rates right now are going to be about 6.9% right, at Q1, and it's going to go ahead and drop to about 6.1%, I think, by the end of the year, which should create some more affordability in, in the housing market. Now, obviously, yesterday we had a little bit of, of a bump from a 6.8% mortgage rate to 7.1, but I do right. expect that to, to taper off here. Um, that was more, maybe more of a one-day spot. I think that will taper off here going, uh, going so, shortly. So, Jeff, we were just showing the audience your forecast of the rates going down, um, you know, a few uh, basis points each quarter. How much is that dependent on the Fed cutting rates? And I think a lot of people after that CPI report, they have some doubts about when and uh, when those rate cuts are going to come and just how deep they're going to be. So, you know, uh, basically the, the mortgage bond market is going to rally well before the, the Fed cuts rates. So I'm looking for the Fed to cut rates sometime in June. I don't think it's going to happen in, in March uh, in March or May. It'll happen in June. But what will happen is as we see CPI and CPE and CPI start to come under control, you'll see the mortgage bond market rally and you'll see rates start to to drop. If you look back, you know, a year ago, these rates are significantly off the high of October of uh, 2023, or 8%. We're still hovering, hovering about 7%. So that affordability factor is starting to work much more in our direction, especially with a, strong, a job strong uh, a job market that's getting stronger. So, Jeff, I mean, you know the mortgage market. I'm going to push back on you a bit. It's, it's doing more than hovering above 7%. I was looking at Mortgage News Daily. It's right now at 7.13. Yep. That's a good ways above 7%. Um, you're saying, according to your data, the affordable, I'm using air quotes right now for people just listening, the affordable Q2 right. mortgage rate is 6.625. Why is that a magic number? What about that number makes people who have mortgage rates lower than that sell and, and create more inventory? I mean, what happens when we get to that number? So listen, it's not, it's, not, it's not a magic number, but, it's, but if you look at where we were back in October, it was 8%. So 8% to 6.62, we're coming back in a much better area. Also, look at the, uh, the, the jobs numbers right now, okay? Unemployment at 3.7%. That's still multi-decade low. So when people feel good about their jobs and they see mortgage rates starting to drop, they'll come back into the, 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 uh, the housing market saying, is this pro- probably a good time for me to buy? And then you get a Fed rate cut. That will probably come in. Again, I'm predicting around June, you start to see more buyers starting to say, I feel comfortable about buying and sellers saying, maybe this is time for me to trade out of that house that I was thinking to and move into something more affordable and maybe downsizing. All right. Uh, Emphasis says 6.625. Not a magic number, but it's going to create more movement in the housing market. Jeff Taylor, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, your big money movers and a surprise profit at Robinhood. The stock reaction and much more coming up after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or... 
get goofy officially, step up like a boss and save the day, or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera. Here are your top headlines. The results are in for the New York special election. Democrats have flipped the seat that was left empty when George Santos was expelled. NBC News projects that Tom Swazi has won New York's third district. Swazi could be sworn in as soon as this week. And then Republicans will only be able to afford to lose two votes in the House. Democrats could have used that extra help last night before House Republicans impeached Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by a single vote. They blame the secretary for the crisis at the southern border. President Biden condemned the effort accusing House Republicans of targeting an honorable public servant in order to play petty political games. Meanwhile, another member of the cabinet has been released from the hospital. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has resumed his duties. His doctors say he is in good condition after undergoing treatment for a bladder issue. They say it was unrelated to his prostate cancer diagnosis, where his prognosis remains, quote, excellent. All right, Frank, those are your headlines. You're up to date. Send it back to you. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Great to see you as always. All right, time now for your big money movers. We're going to start off with shares of Lyft. They're rallying this morning, but pulling back from a 60 percent jump following the earnings report yesterday. So here's what happened. The company revealing an error in that report, saying it logged margin growth of 50 basis points instead of the 500 basis points that were originally stated in the release. Yesterday's move has sent the stock to its highest level since August of 2022. Also on guidance of positive free cash flow for the first time ever. Uh, shares of Lyft right now, you can see they're up more than 16%. And you don't want to miss a first on CNBC interview with CEO David Risher. That's at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time today. Robinhood also popping on an unexpected Q4 profit. Stronger than, than expected revenue and lower cost, helping boost profits as wealthier and more seasoned traders move to the platform. The brokerage firm highlighting strong momentum, including the most monthly deposits since 2021. And be sure to catch an exclusive interview with CEO Vlad Tenev. That's today at 1 p.m. Eastern. Airbnb moving lower. Despite reporting better than expected earnings and guidance, revenue rising 17 percent as the company hits what it calls an inflection point for expansion beyond its core business. Airbnb also announcing approval to buy back up to six billion dollars of its Class A common stock. Shares of Airbnb down just about 6% this morning. All right, coming up, why Double Line's Jeff Gunlock says investors, they may have gotten just a bit too bullish in their outlook for future Fed rate cuts. Our Steve Leisman is here to weigh in. We'll be right back with much more Worldwide Exchange. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks are looking about a turnaround following yesterday's post-CPI sell-off. Futures right now, they are in the green. That hotter-than-expected inflation report further dimming hopes of near-term rate cuts by the Fed. Our Steve Leisman is standing by taking us inside the central bank thinking when it comes to rate cuts. And the brain drain at Apple, it continues as one of its longest-serving designers heads for the exit. It's Wednesday, February the 14th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Let's get you ready for the day. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check of U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off its worst single session since March. You're seeing right now, it looks like the Dow would open up just about 78 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both firmly in the green as well. So far this week, we're seeing shares of Dow components. We're talking names like Salesforce, Microsoft, Walgreens, Boeing, and of course, Apple, all down between two and three and a half percent. You see it right here. Also, we want to check the bond market this morning with yields hitting their highest level in more than two months. Take a look at the 10 year right now. Right now, trading at 4.299, almost 4.3, moving about 15 basis points higher after that hotter than expected inflation report. Looking at the rest of the curve, similar story here, um, especially for the two year moving just about lockstep with the 10 year right now at 4.61 percent. Okay, that's your U.S. setup. Now we want to turn our attention back over to the markets. And if yesterday, if it was all about a knee-jerk reaction following that hotter than expected January inflation read, then today it's all about where we go from here and the realization that the Fed may not be as aggressive when it comes to cutting interest rates. Here is Double Line's Jeffrey Gunlock on Closing Bell yesterday. I think the market has had tremendously overpriced the amount of cuts this year. It was down to almost a certainty of six. And it seemed that the Fed, since they weren't going to move in March, per the words of the chairman, that that means they're getting started in in May. And then there's this thing called the election that I I don't know, they probably aren't primarily focused on that. But to have six rate cuts between May and the end of the year always seemed like a lot to me. All right, let's bring in CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Steve, good morning. Great to see you. Hey, Frank, how are you? I'm doing great. So too optimistic. Steve, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, We just heard from Jeff Gunlock. He says the markets are being too optimistic when it comes to rate cuts. Right now, I'm looking at the CME FedWatch tool. I know you look at some other metrics, but there's a 61 percent chance, according to traders, of another pause in May. Give us a sense. How should investors view the Fed right now and the chances of a cut and how many cuts we could see this year? Well, let me just say that the only difference between me and Jeff Gunlack is he has like billions of dollars under management. But we both are in agreement on on the market having been way too exuberant. It was the first words out of my mouth after the I saw how the market was trading after the December meeting. The market went way further than was suggested by, I thought, Fed guidance or even the words of the chairman. Um, and, and, and there was a need, I think, to, for that to come back in. Uh, whether or not it's gone too far is an interesting question. But, yeah, I'm looking at the same data you are, Frank. There's a 40 percent chance of a cut, a 60 percent chance of a hold, call it. Uh, and if you look at the uh, uh, probabilities, you don't really lock in a, a rate cut until uh, uh, June, uh, where it's 78 percent. I think that's reasonable. I was in the May camp for a while, Frank, and um, I could see that uh, uh, maybe it slips to June. I think okay. the, there's two points of view out there, Frank. One is that this was a blip, and the other one is this is a sort of uh, 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 support for the idea of no landing, no cuts. I th- Steve, you're leading me to my next question. Um, if you're an investor, should you look at this as a blip or should you look at it as maybe just a real inflection point in the markets and how this year is going to shape out? Um, Gunlock pointed out something. The election is coming up later this year. Now, Jay Powell will always say the Fed's not worried about politics. But do you believe that investors should look at that as a factor that might limit the number of rate cuts we see at least before November? 
No, I don't think so. I think if you're an investor, you shouldn't play the Fed playing politics. I think that's like a second derivative play. I think investors have enough on their minds than to worry about that. I think the Fed's most likely to do what it needs to do when it needs to be done, irrespective of politics. I think, you know, if it if it if it had its choice, it would like to get things done apart from the elections, not necessarily be active in, say, September or October if it didn't have to be. Uh, but I think it would be if it needed to be. Um, I, I think from an investor standpoint, you should definitely be thinking about the risk here. And you should have been thinking about it before that there are fewer cuts out there than the market had predicted. I think three cuts is still reasonable. I think there's a lot of noise in this data, this owner's equivalent rent, these uh, uh, shelter costs going up. Remember, the Fed's preferred indicator has about half of the weighting of shelter as the CPI does. So it will be less of an effect. I think that there was always a possibility and a likelihood that some of this data ended up going the wrong way over okay. time. Uh, I, I think uh, several Fed officials, Frank, you remember, used the word bumpy to describe what they expected to be the trajectory of inflation. And that's really proving to be true. Yeah, Stephen, in all fairness, that they also used the word uh, transitory as well at one point. So I do want to ask you, when, when are we going to see the economic reports or what economic reports will lead us to say, it is a blip or not a blip. Is it simply the next inflation report, jobs reports? I mean, what should investors be looking at to kind of come to the conclusion whether this was a blip or a larger trend? Okay, uh, great question. So Friday we get the PPI. That's the producer price index. That has become more important because parts of the PPI feed into the PCE. That's February 29th that we get that, 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 that the Fed's preferred inflation indicator. That comes out. But I would also be looking at some of the inflation components, for example, of the ISMs. Uh, there are some surveys out there, the NFIB. I would be watching all of that because the fear here is not so much what's happening on the good sector, but it's the service sector. My favorite explanation for what happened in January is that people, Employers promised employees raises at the beginning of the year, and they raised prices along with that. I think that's something that uh, uh, is a one-off issue, but it still points to the need for uh, investors to be careful about the possibility that tight labor markets mean continued uh, um, inflation on the service side, and that could hold back the Fed and stay the Fed's hand, hands on cutting rates. All right, Steve Leesman, Senior Economics Reporter. Always great to see you, Steve. Thank you. My pleasure, Jack. Frank. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Savannah Hanau is back with those. Savannah. Hey, Frank. Good morning to you. Well, the brain drain at Apple reportedly continuing as the tech giant loses another high profile leader. Bloomberg reports Bart Andre, who has been with Apple since 1992 and is its longest serving industrial designer, plans to leave the company soon. The report says while the exact reasoning behind Andre's departure is unknown, it suggests there is some unrest due to Chief Operating Officer Jeff Williams running the design team and introducing cost-cutting measures. Meanwhile, Disney's ESPN and the college football playoff appearing to come to terms on a new broadcast deal. According to reports, the six-year agreement would cost the network $1.3 billion a year and allow it to keep exclusive rights to the 12-team playoff throughout the 2031 season. Now, the reports add the deal can't be finalized until the CFP works through other outstanding issues regarding the format and revenue distribution. And sticking with Disney, 
character actors at its California theme park say they're looking to form a union. While around 35,000 workers at Disneyland already have labor unions, the roughly 1,700 actors dressed as Mickey, Minnie, and others do not. They say they're working with Actors' Equity Association, which represents theater actors and stage managers across the U.S., Frank. All right, so, Mana, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on that CPI report shocker and the troubling trends in the restaurant space taking a bite on a number of those stocks. Plus, a bullish call on chicken. The optimistic outlook for Wingstop when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at the Dow pre-market gainers. Microsoft right there at the top of the list. Up more than 1%, basically one and a quarter percent, followed by Salesforce up almost 1%. And then on the other side of the coin, we have our laggards. Uh, Verizon down about a quarter of a percent, followed by Visa. Same story, J.P. Morgan Chase as well. Okay, we will now give you a market flash. Looking at shares of Upstart Holdings this morning, and they're deep in the red. The AI fuel lending platform posted better than expected quarterly results, but... Its first quarter outlook was much weaker than expected. The stock's more than doubled in the past year, thanks in large, uh, large part to excitement around artificial intelligence. But today's drop will put it deeper into negative territory for 2024, down more than 30 percent. That includes today's moves. Again, Upstart Holdings down just about 21 percent in the pre-market. Restaurant stocks, they are coming off a pretty tough session on the back of that much hotter than expected CPI report. The cost of dining out, no surprise to many of us, proven to be costly, with restaurant prices up more than 5% year over year. Our Kate Rogers has much more. Tuesday was a tough day for the restaurant sector with nearly every name in the red, with the exception of Wingstop, which closed up over 2% to end the day. Now, the biggest laggards in this space, Sweetgreen, Bloomin' Brands, and Restaurant Brands International, the parent company of Burger King. It reported top and bottom line beats, but the stock closed lower by nearly 4%. The company struggled with the impact of the war in the Middle East, joining the ranks of Yum! Brands, Starbucks, and McDonald's, all feeling effects of the conflict there in varying markets. The company also noted a softening in China and a lower growth outlook in that market for QSR. Now, another piece of the restaurant story, of course, CPI data. Groceries continue to be cheaper than dining out. Over the last 12 months, food at home is up only 1.2 percent and food away from home is up 5.1 percent and 5.8 percent at limited service restaurants. Many chains are focusing on value for that reason. It's just getting more and more expensive to dine out and consumers are watching where and how they spend. Back over to you. And our thanks to Kate Rogers. Time now for your morning call sheet. Let's stick with the restaurant space. Uh, Kate just mentioned this company, Bernstein, initiating coverage of Wingstop giving it an outperform rating and a $340 price target. Bernstein saying it believes Wingstop is in a category of one in the limited service chicken restaurant space with potential to be the next Domino's. That's, that's a, quite a description there. Uh, shares of Wingstop up almost a half a percent. All right, another initiation, this time from RBC Capital on First Solar, giving it an outperform rating and a $195 price target. RBC calling the company its top pick for solar industry equipment suppliers, citing strong visibility for revenue and for earnings growth. Those shares up almost 2%. Also, we got Piper Sandler raising its rating on Citigroup to overweight. Piper saying that a pullback in shares has created a more attractive entry point. Those shares up 
almost one and a half percent this morning. All right, time now for your global briefing. We're going to start with Japan's Sony posting a record quarterly revenue in its earnings report, but still slashing its full year guidance for the PlayStation 5. The company says it plans to spin off its financial business next year and keep a stake of just under 20 percent. Sony is focusing more on its entertainment and image sensor division. Shares of Sony down about a half a percent. Heineken forecasting low to high single digit operating profit growth this year due to geopolitical and economic uncertainty. The Dutch brewer has been raising prices in the last year to sustain revenue growth and offset the decline in volumes. It expects the pace of price increases to slow down in the coming months, though it warns that its input prices, or excuse me, input costs are still rising. Shares of Heineken down almost six percent. And in China, BYD reportedly preparing to set up a new EV factory in Mexico as it expands its global footprint. BYD is investing in countries like Thailand, Hungary and Brazil. It recently surpassed Tesla as the world's top EV maker by sales. Uh, Those shares not moving right now. You can see right now in the last year, however, down about 23 percent. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, why are Jim Cramer and our next guest? They're not sweating the sell off we saw yesterday. Also, during February, CNBC is celebrating black heritage. As we had to break, here's Peebles Corporation Chairman and CEO, Don Peebles. My grandfather was a doorman at the Marriott Woodman Park Hotel for 41 years. But yet, me, his grandson, owned a Marriott Hotel a few miles away from him in the same city. Here I am sitting in a club that was originally founded in 1926 that did not allow African-Americans on the property, yet alone members. And here I am, the owner of this club. And that speaks to the greatness of America. Look at the gainers of the NASDAQ 100 right now. Marvell Technology up just over 2%, followed by PDD Holdings. Datadog coming in the number three spot, up one and three quarters of a percent. And it's time now for your WEX wrap-up. Uh, we begin this morning with U.K. inflation holding steady at 4% during January, coming in just below the forecast. Meanwhile, the second read on fourth quarter growth in the EU confirming that the bloc's economy has stalled. We're also looking at the rideshare space. Thousands of Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers are set to strike across the U.S. today in a bid for higher pay. The workers are accusing those platforms of taking overly high commissions. Speaking of Lyft, shares pulling back from yesterday's 60% after-hours pop. The company revealing an error in its earnings report, saying it misstated its margin expansion as 500 basis points instead of the actual 50 basis points. You can see the big pop right there. Shares are still up just about 16% in the pre-market. We also have some MAG7 news. NVIDIA surpassing Amazon and market cap thanks to the AI chip boom. Shares of NVIDIA, they're up 215% in the last year compared to Amazon's 69% gain. We're also watching shares of Vizio. They're pulling back today after a big pop yesterday on a report that Walmart is looking to buy the smart TV maker. We're also watching shares of Roku. They're slightly higher today after a sharp drop yesterday on that report. All right, here's what to watch today on the economic front. We get weekly mortgage apps. We're also watching earnings from Kraft Heinz, Cisco, and TripAdvisor. And we're going to hear from Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby this morning, as well as a number of high-profile interviews throughout the day right here on CNBC. It includes the CEOs of Lyft, Robinhood, and Kraft Heinz, plus SEC Chair Gary Gensler and Tryon Partners founder Nelson Peltz. Very busy day on the network today. All right, stocks are looking to shake off yesterday's steep selling off on the back of that hotter-than-expected CPI report. But that sell-off, it's not shaking our Jim Cramer, who chalked it up to a case of Poor decision-making by a group of investors on last night's Mad Money. Take a listen. 
The market can't advance on froth without terrible consequences. We've got to drain the froth and refresh, and that's what today was, as those who don't know anything about the economy or their stocks get cashiered out of the market. This is a sell-off based on bad judgment, not bad earnings or a bad business environment. And it will be cured by the departure of those bulls who got caught off sides, who now be pulled from the lineup and sent back to the sidelines where they can earn their 5% while they break form and do some much-needed homework. <laughs> Jim Cramer saying some homework needs to get done. For much more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Keith Lerner, Truist Advisory Senior Services, excuse me, Co-Chief Investment Officer. Keith, good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, Frank. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Um, so give us a sense. We just heard from Jim Cramer. He says investors need to do some homework. They made a bad decision in this sell-off yesterday. What's your take? And also, as we see futures higher right now, how, do you, how does that shape your view of the sell-off that we saw yesterday? Yeah, well, first, I think some perspective is in order here, right? We were just up 14 out of 15 weeks. That's the longest streak we've seen since 1972. And we were up 20% over that span as as well. Um, The other thing I will say is, Frank, on average, the last decade, we've seen about 28 down days per year of 1% or more. So in perspective, it felt bad. It was uglier early in the day. But I think at the end of the day, um, we have a gut check of a market that was somewhat overheated, somewhat overextended, uh, which is normal. But we, we do expect more of a consolidation here after this big run up that we've seen. All right. So if you're expecting a con- consolidation, where should investors, if they want to put money to work, where should they put it to work today following that sell off? Is this a buy the dip moment? Is this a, a wait and see moment? What would you call it? Yeah, I don't I can't say that one and a half percent pullback is a great buying opportunity. Um, if we got a little bit deeper, I think we'd be more aggressive in the interim. You know, we would stick with the primary trend, which is still positive. As far as sectors, I mean, we still are sticking with uh, tech, which has really strong earnings momentum relative to the overall market. We also think discretionary is an interesting perspective uh, or interesting sector, even though the inflation report was a little bit hotter yesterday. Okay. What we're seeing for the first time in several years is is wage growth is now above inflation, which should be good for consumer spending. All right. Give us a sense of how you see today shaping up. What's your Wex word of the day and why? Okay, Frank, I wanted to say my word of the day was love, but instead (laughs) it's tension. Uh, And I just think we're seeing this tension play out between this stronger economy, a little bit hotter inflation versus Fed policy, which is now being recalibrated. And and our um, point of view is we would rather have a stronger economy, which should support earnings. Okay. Fewer rate cuts and more rate cuts because the economy is weakening. So ultimately, we think a strong economy is a good thing, not a bad thing. Okay. But again, this recalibration means some choppiness in the market. Keith Lerner from Truist, great to see you as always. One more, more, one more quick look at the futures this morning in the green across the board. Uh, the Nasdaq up more than a half a percent in the futures market. Looks like the Dow would open up about 80 points higher. That does it for us. Squawk Box up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.